space, the final frontier. These are the voyages of Starship Enterprise. It's five-year mission to explore strange new worlds, to seek out new life and new civilization, to boldly go where no man has gone before. Greetings, salutations, and welcome back to Retrek. I'm Captain Jim. With me is Admiral Elliot. Hi there. And joining us once again are, I've forgotten your ranks, Dr. Squee and Ambassador Nicola. Hello. Hello. So we've got the whole crew together and we're back on the movies again. And this one causes a bit of division in the fandom, should we say. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) So I'm looking forward to seeing where everybody comes down on this one, so... Uh, I'll put it out there. I really enjoyed it watching it again for this. So, and I, I've always had a fairly high opinion of this film. So, it's Star Trek Into Darkness that we're talking about. And just to set a bit of background, it took quite a while for this to come through, given that Star Trek 2009 was really popular critically, commercially. And then I think it was about four years before this one actually turned up. And, you know, J.J. Abrams went off and made Super 8, I think it was. And obviously the the stock of the cast largely went up after this one. Um, so it took a while to arrive. And as we said, there were kind of mixed responses to it. So let's get a quick hot take on it before we get into it. Elliot, what's, what's your feelings? Um... It really annoys me that it's a Wharf of Khan remake. I like the movie, yeah. but if you changed Khan for anybody else, it'd improve it. Okay, we'll That's dig... That's what's wrong with the movie. We'll dig into it a bit but more. Khan. <laughs> I think you might be getting some more people on your side here, so um, Squee, what, what was your take? Okay, well, I mean, I, I completely agree with Elliot. It sort of does, and also doesn't know who its bad guy is. Because it kind of alternates between um, Karl Marx's dad mm. and Khan. And if you just had one of them as the focal point, I think you've got a much stronger movie. I've always had a problem with, um, which we'll get into, about uh, Bendit Cumberbatch being Khan. Because look, I know that, that uh, Montalban was a, a Spanish man and he was playing an, an Indian character. But at least it wasn't just a straight up white guy playing mm-hmm. an Indian character. Yeah, which I you think can't get much like... more white in English, can you? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yeah, I, that's I a fair point. I won't go straight into it, but yeah. Yeah, yeah I mean, I actually quite like the film and I actually quite like, um, but I like Benedict Cumberbatch. I think he is a really good actor. Yeah. Um, I love I love him in Sherlock and lots of things, but you're right, I don't think he may be quite right for that. Um, yeah, what it was portrayed, and I agree with you. There was two things that I thought additionally to that was the first. I agree with you. I think a lot of it was supposed to be plot twists, mm-hmm. like bet- without the film. But I didn't get it. It seemed a bit more confusing than actual plot twists. Like you say, yeah. we didn't know really who the baddie was. It was just a little confusing. The yeah. other thing for me was the fact that it was the first time I think in parts of it because the first film I actually felt Star Trek. This one I felt Star Trek a lot of it. But there were parts of it where I thought this could be just an action film. Yeah. There's parts of this that it could have been a Star Wars movie. Yeah, yeah. I I think if you'd simplified it, removed a few elements and had a more straight storyline, it would be much improved. But the bits I enjoyed about it, I really enjoyed about it. There's a lot still to recommend it. I'm not a hater, but I'm not a lover by any means. And I just think they made so many missteps, which made it not the film it could have been. Yeah. Yeah, I think I'm a bit hotter on it than you guys are, but I do take your point about the convoluted plot, and I think some of the character arcs are not very well thought out. Like, I mean, we'll we'll go through it, but the there's the whole thing with Kirk, like, you're not ready for the chair, but he doesn't really do anything in the film to prove that he is right for the chair. It no more so than what he's already done before that. So that the character acts seem to just stutter a bit. Well, it also does the kind of like reverse of my pretty much one niggle with the first film is that he goes from um, like cadet to captain just like that. And then in this film, they're going it's like, right, because of what you've done, you shouldn't be captain anymore. We'll send you back to the academy so they yeah. can exact Yeah, it's and like, it's like they don't understand there's any ranks between cadet and captain. Well, and then suddenly 
suddenly the film needs him to come back on the ship. So suddenly he has to. <laughs> oh yeah, and I fought for you to become my number one. You know, because he had the captain again. Yeah, it's because it, it looks like they're going to be addressing that because obviously a lot of people picked that up as a complaint from the first one. Oh. And this film starts off and he's he's knocked back in rank and you're like, oh, okay, they're, they're now going to address that and get him to the point where he's earned it and everything else. Mm-hmm. And then, like you say, Nicola, it's within the space of 10 minutes, or it's probably a bit longer than that, but it feels like it, you know, boom, right, everything's back yeah. how it was. And it's like, well, why did we, why did we do that thing to begin with? And yeah, it, Kirk's act just doesn't work for me. It's like... Is it about snubbing authority or is it about doing the right thing or it, it just doesn't, that doesn't feel developed enough. But let, let's have a bit of a, a run through what goes on then. I mean, obviously with it being a movie, we're not going to hit on every point, but um, we'll cover it in broad strokes. So we start off then, we've got an action sequence on a planet. It's this lovely, bright planet. I love the visuals on this really mm. red planet. Yeah, it looks alien. Yeah, it does. And you get this thing, it's Kirk's nicked this scroll to get them all to run away, and is that, he's doing that to distract them, so they don't, to get them away from the volcano, is that what's going on? I I was sort of a bit confused of this, why he's got the scroll, it's sort of like, I'm in disguise, and it's sort of like, hmm... I thought maybe is it so they don't see the shuttle approaching the volcano? Oh, so it's distracting them. Possibly. I'd, yeah, it's not abundantly yeah, I, clear, I've always is been it? Co- a bit confused about why they're chasing him and why he's got the scroll. Well, they're, they're chasing him... Because be- to say that the smoke from the volcano hit the shuttle, so... Oh, so it's not that. Yeah, I'm, I'm not. I'm with you. I'm not entirely clear, but, I, you know... You can kind of let that go because we're we're joining it sort of in the middle of the mission and it's sort of yeah. like the start of a Bond film where you get a little yes. bit wrapping everything up. It's not... Cold open. Yeah. The thing. But, but like sometimes in the James Bond film like they do here, sometimes it's just an isolated little mini mission. Other times it is a mini mission, but they also lead into the main mission. So like here you've got a lovely setup of... Who Spock is at the beginning of this film, and who Kirk is at the beginning yes. of this film. So I think that's what this is here to serve, as well as just being an exciting little opener. Yeah, it's good. I, I, even though, as I've said, I don't think they got Kirk's arc in his own right very well done. I think the Kirk Spock stuff, I think, is very good in this film. The yeah. the sort of development of the friendship and getting them to the point where they become what we know them to be in the rest of Star Trek. Yeah. So I do yeah. like that introduction and I like the, you know, Spock in the volcano and everything all looks good. What do we think about the Enterprise under the water? Um, I don't have a problem with them being able to do that, actually. I I think it's something they could do. Like, they've got shields and yeah, it's obviously a fickle and made from titanium, so it shouldn't rust and... So I think it should be able to go. I I get that it should. I don't think it. I don't think it operates as a submarine, but to be able to sort of go down as the hammer, yeah. I think. But it's another but one where again, it's why have they done I, it? I, I, I would absolutely love. Sorry, I'd love, love, love um, Chekhov to do. Oh, there's a vessel approach. A vessel approaching. That would be good. Yeah, a periscope. It's also why did they have to do it? Like, yes. they've got transporters, they're using a shuttle, surely the shuttle could come down from space, It's and how did they land underwater without them seeing them? Yeah, this if is... worried about taking off and being seen again. I mean, the answer is because it looks awesome when it comes out of the water, and, you know, that that's why they've done it, it's for the oh. visual, but... Oh. but... You see, I like it. In idea, the only thing I've got a problem with is when they do that and when they build the ship on land, as we discussed in the first film, it kind of makes it smaller. Like the whole idea is like when you see the the Enterprise in space, it can be sort of. I know there are measurements, as Elliot will know the exact measurements of it, like to the um, but well, yeah, to be yeah, fair with the, with the JJ yeah. Prize, it's a bit, yeah. it's bigger and smaller and different things. <laughs> It has a lot more. It's like a bit, a bit like the TARDIS is the JJ Prize. Yeah, but my point is that when it's in space, it can be as big as your imagination. Essentially. Yeah. 
Yeah. When you bring it to land, when you bring it to the sea, it's a set size because it's in comparison to other things on land. And to me, that just takes away a bit of the grandness. It's a cool scene. I love it when Scotty's on the bridge and he turns around, there's a fish going by, so go, oh, yeah. there's a little double take. Brilliant. But, you know what um, you just reminded me? Sorry, I'm going to go slightly off here. Sorry? But when you were saying about how good it looks when it comes out the water, it's kind of like the sci fi equivalent of a Bond girl coming out of the sea. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> And isn't she a sexy beast? <laughs> she is. <laughs> so, yeah. yeah. So, I mean, that was, it's almost as if the writers are kind of baiting people. So they know it's exactly the sort of thing fans will jump on and go, well, why is the Enterprise underwater? And there's a lot of that in this film. So, <laughs> you know, so yeah, it's a good opening bit. It introduces a bit of the things. You've got Spock saying the needs of the many and all that. So there's a lot mm. packed into yeah, you've it. Got, you've got Spock arguing, don't save him because it'll break the Prime Directive, which I think... Yeah, even though they're breaking good, the Prime Directive by stopping this volcano. Volcan- yeah, yeah, the interfering, but... But, that again, that's something they did do a lot more of in the original series. They... They, they yeah, did. they sort of saved civilizations without yeah. being discovered. So it's it's an, another one that you could take umbrage with it if you really wanted to and go, well, it's not the right thing for them to do, but it's not unprecedented. And Can this... I ask a technical question as well? Um, and I know you guys, all three of you know this more than me, is how did uh, Spock not melt in the volcano? Because uh... of that suit he's got on. It, yeah, it was made of something absolutely amazing. Yeah, I'll go with the suit. Yeah. It's a suit, and if we go with uh, the animated series, do you have uh, force field belts? They do? Right. Right. Yeah, but just to get back to what... Uh, Sorry. No, that's cool. <laughs> just to get back to what James was saying, though, I think it is really... I think you're right that this was the kind of thing they did in the original series all the time, and, and Spock would go along with the fact that there were sort of bending rules and stuff, because he knew that was Captain mm-hmm. Kirk. He knew his place and he knew his relationship to him. What I love about this is this is kind of like set a bit before the original series. So we get to see him becoming the Spock we know in that series. Yeah. So even though there's so many traits, it's recognisable as Spock, which I prefer that to the, for instance, the Discovery yeah. one, which didn't sort of recognise as Spock for me. But you recognise him as Spock, but you know where he's not become the Spock we know yet. And you get to see him throughout the film becoming that. That's one of the things they, I think they really nailed. Spock becomes the Spock we know. Kirk becomes the Kirk we yeah. know in a, a few more ways. Than yeah, yeah Kirk's, sort of, Kirk's on the Enterprise earlier than he would have been yeah. in the prime timeline. He's actually on the Enterprise when Pike should be doing his second five-year mission. Yeah. yeah. Kirk, Kirk should be off on the Farragut now. Yeah, yeah as the lieutenant. got the... You've also got good plotting why Kirk is a bit different. So even though at the end of this film he's more Kirk-like, he can still be a bit different because he is this Kirk who got brought up without his dad. He's a bit more of a rebel. So everything kind of fits for that character-wise for me. It does for me as well. And like yeah, Spock, I think as well. I, I think you're right that he does get to be more the Spock we know. But there is a softer edge to him because of his relationship with Uhura that's you know, we didn't really talk about it in the first film, but um, that sort of comes to the the forefront here as well. And I like mm-hmm. I like that relationship. And and I do I can't remember exactly which episode it is, but I'm sure there's a bit in the original series where it is implied that there's an attraction between the two of them, or certainly from a horror side of it. I'm, I think it might be one where she's singing or something, but I can't remember. Yeah, yeah I, I think there might be in the original. I know that the, uh, Nurse Chapel... Nurse Chapel did have a thing for him, yeah. It could be. I, I, it I could really, be. It's just I remember a scene, but not an episode. <laughs> so, um, But I like the way it does sort of take off his harder edges a little bit and give him another element that we've not really seen with Spock before. And, uh, us, having, oh, sorry, I was just going to say, having lost his home planet, that's going to get... Of course, yeah. Oh, sorry, Nicola? No, I was just going to say, there's a couple of lines where I absolutely love where they've both um, got to go and uh, have their sort of uh, discussion with the Klingons, and uh, they're having their little ding-dong, and uh, they say they're going to be a problem working together. And she's like, no, no, absolutely fine. I can't remember the word she says. And she then says, he, no, not at all. And Spock goes, um, that's I'm unclear. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. Yeah. Yeah, that's 
like yeah, that. there's some wonderful interaction between them and the awkwardness of Kirk when he's got caught in the middle. Of yeah, the where he's sat in the middle of it. Yeah, the, the yeah, that's when they get to Kronos, isn't middle. it? There's, he's saying it's like, a, is this the first time that her first name's actually mentioned on screen as well? Horror. The first film was. Oh right, did they mention in the first one? Yeah. Right. She, because he calls yeah. her by name in this one. He does, yeah. Well, in the first one, if you remember, when um, Kirk's trying to find out her name all the way through, and then um, Spock calls her by it uh, when he's going on to the uh, transporter, and she go- he goes, oh, so her first name's... I can't even remember it now. Her first name is Dilla. And he goes, uh, I have no opinion. I, mean, I I do not want to discuss this matter or something. I have nothing to comment yeah. on this matter. yeah. So yeah, but it, you're right. It was never revealed in the original, um, the original series or the original movies or anything. And I think it was yeah. Nichelle Nichols asked Gene Roddenberry what it was, just because she wanted to know, and so that she had it. Uh, but this is the first time we we got it. We get um, when we go back to Earth. Then we get a sequence with. Well, you'll be more familiar with Doctor Who favorite Noel Clark crops up yes. in this yes. one. And, um, yeah, it's, it, I think it's quite a good sequence. It's, it's sort of almost a montage, isn't it? And we, you know, we find out he's got a sick kid and this mysterious character that we later learn to be called John Harrison, who is absolutely John Harrison and not anybody else. Time. And, um, yeah, he gives him the blood. And, you know, and I think that's a good, efficient sequence for setting yeah. everything up. And it, Re, you know, we'll get more into the Benedict Cumberbatch of it all a little bit later on, but the way he's set up just as an antagonist in this film at the start, I think is very strong. Like, he comes across incredibly sinister. Mm. He's got a cool look to him and, you know... Yeah, if he, he hadn't... If it didn't turn out that he was called Khan, if he just stayed as John Harrison, mm. I'd have been a lot happier with his character. Well, yeah, if you think about it, he looks completely different from Khan. Uh, like not only looks wise, but how he dresses. Yeah, he isn't kind of, like beefed up. He's like the superhuman, but looks kind of ordinary. Yeah. Type. So he doesn't like. There's nothing calm about him yeah. from the calm. No. No. There's no threat. There's no reason. No. It's like they've tried with all the all the characters when they've cast them to actually have a resemblance of character traits of the original characters to sort of mimic them to an extent. And then they've just thrown that out the window with Carnits. I see. I think there are sequences where he does get that. I think he he has the sort of sharp intelligence of it, and I think he's got the sort of vicious edge to it. And particularly like the bit later on where he's talking to him, where he's in the prison and he's telling him about how his people were killed and all of this. And I do think he evokes more. More the Space Seed version of Khan than the Wrath of Khan version of Khan. But but then again it is it is a different take on Khan because it's it's not the one we see in the Wrath of Khan because he's not had this twenty years on a planet and his wife being killed and all of this business. So I I do think there's elements of it, but in terms of the physicality, I think you're absolutely right. Like he's this gangly sort of take on it and he it shows that he's extremely strong in it, but yeah. y- with Ricardo Monteblon, you could see where that power came from, whereas this looks disproportionate to, yeah. you know, the body uh, it's coming yeah, from. Yeah, and, like, it's a lot stronger than Ricardo ever was as Khan. Um, yeah, well, is he? Because the only yeah, time... It comes, yeah, it comes across as almost having, like, Marvel Comics-style... Well, we only see Khan really have that one fight with Kirk and Kirk has to use the magic bit of foam slash very tough (laughs) material to... I'm just thinking the films, you do see um, uh, Ricardo Montalban just pick up, like, um, I'm switching between acts and characters here, but Chekhov. Yeah, yeah. And bring across the room, you know. Yeah. He does show some, like, in the film, certainly. I think in TV show, the only reason why you don't see that is because they didn't maybe have the kind of like uh, <coughs> budgets a bit of string to pull something up with but you know perhaps they didn't have the time to work out some of these stunts or the yeah. you know money no and it that. was i yeah. mean can to be fair probably about 90 percent of his screen time in the original series and in the movie he sat down you know you very rarely yeah. see him yeah. up and well, about in fairness we know that's because of the wheelchair in, in the movie yeah, yeah. yes yeah. 
what we do know, but that he couldn't do a lot of it. Concerned for yeah. too long, yeah. Well, that's it. I mean, in Wrath of Khan, he, he is just sat on the bridge of the Reliant for most of it, isn't he? But yeah. anyhow. But there was something about his fire, though, with that, with that portrayal that I just... Like, you know, you're right. We only see him being actually a strong man in a few scenes. But it feels like he is all the time. Yes, yeah. feeling from Bone the Camper Patch. I feel like he's more sinister in the way he speaks, which Cumberbatch can do that all day long. He is wonderful yeah, yeah. at kind of like creating a feel. But not. I, I would never buy him as the hard man. Yeah, I'd never be scared of him physically. Oh, yeah. I think I would be. I wouldn't want to get in a fight with him. I just don't think Benedict Cumberbatch is... He's early on, isn't he? So he hasn't had that life of... But you watch the original being... Space Seeds episode. Montalban is is so imposing, and he's so that's he's what I mean. He's grown, scary. yeah, and he's grown to that. If you know what I mean. No, but I'm it's... saying even in TV shows. Oh, that's I felt so. like yeah. he, in Space Seeds. Yeah. He... There was something more regal about Montalban. Yeah, he, he always played up that side of it, and yeah, yeah. so. Yeah, I think we'll probably keep coming back and back to this all the way through. But yeah, um, yeah it is, I mean, it is the big stickling point of the film, isn't it? But yeah, then we get all this business, like we said, about Kirk gets, like you say, gets demoted right back to cadet. But then Pike goes, oh, no, actually, you can be my first officer. And <laughs> I'm back on the Enterprise again. And oh, by the way, I'm not in the wheelchair that I was in at the end of the last film. Um, but he can Of course he can. Yeah. But I always thought the implication in the last one was, oh, look, he's back in a wheelchair like he was in the well, prime time. Yeah, I thought, I, yeah. yeah, I thought that was sort of time trying to fix itself. Yeah. but um, Which to do talk, which is talked about in the first one a bit, that time tries to resolve itself, and it might not be exactly the same, but to put things right so... We know Pike ended up in a wheelchair, so it was putting him in so a wheelchair. That, that's what I thought they were going for, but then they obviously thought in this one, no, no, it's fine. We'll get him out of the wheelchair, but we'll kill him. So yeah, that's fine. Yeah. And then time certainly does want Pike alive. That's the it's only not. Thing well, it's because of the time crystals and everything, as we know. It's all <laughs> destined. Um, then we meet Admiral Marcus. Now I know we were talking about you know the the villains and everything. It's clear this guy's going to be the villain right from the start, isn't it? I mean, yeah. I mean, Peter Weller usually plays villains, apart from obviously Robocop and Buckaroo Bonsai. But you know, generally when you see him, he's got a villain face, and he, you know, yeah, and, and he's wonderful. He's a great actor. Yeah, I think he's excellent. Did anyone see that Odyssey Five that he did, that sci-fi show? Um, that... I watched part of the first season. Oh, they only made one season. Sadly, but oh, it was, if you if you can find it anywhere, it's it's an excellent show. It's but... on YouTube, actually. I think there you go. Then I think that's where I found it. So they I are... they made five seasons of it. No, they were gonna. That's why it was called Odyssey Five, and it were planned right. to be five seasons, but it didn't happen, unfortunately. Um, so yes, there's a recommendation. But yeah, as soon as he comes on, it's like right, he's gonna be the baddie, and then he's got his little collection of ships that he's got. And he's got, like, the original Enterprise aircraft carrier and the shuttle, and he's got a model of um, Archer's Enterprise on his table, and you're like, oh, that's a good bit of continuity. Then he's got a model of his big evil Section 31 ship that we see later in the film. So... His secret ship, so he's put a model of it on his desk. On his desk, so it's <laughs> typical supervillain mistake. <laughs> like where Blofeld put... What was it Blofeld did? Um, oh, Blofeld put where his secret drill platform was on his map, didn't he, in Diamonds Are Forever, and that's how Bond found it. Anyway, um, so yeah, Admiral Marcus... Mm, and then he... Awesome, in- though. He, that's why I think he should have been the main villain. He, he was so... yeah. Obviously, the villain. Yeah, I think he would have been a really strong plot point if you'd had, like, maybe Starfleet uh, being corrupt and like Kirk and. Scott yeah, they could have played into the Section Thirty One more, couldn't they? Yeah, it would have been lovely. Yeah, I mean, we do get a bit of that later on in that Kirk decides, right, I'm going to bring you in, Admiral, because you're a criminal and everything. So there is, there is a bit of it, but mm. but again, this is what I was talking about about the Kirk story arc not being followed through because there's the whole thing of oh well you know you go rogue and you think you can do anything and you're just a maverick and you don't follow orders and 
Kirk saves the day in this film by being a maverick and not following orders and <laughs> doing his own thing. So it it which is fine. It's entertaining and it fits in with the character, but it doesn't it doesn't close off that story act that they're trying to tell. So it leaves you with kind of a mixed a mixed yeah. message. And see, I'm talking myself into not liking this film now, and I really do. <laughs> but yeah. um, and then. Sorry, go on. Sorry, I was just going to say as well, um, on your bit, I didn't, for me, I didn't really feel the part of the daughter very much. Um, as in, I don't know, I just, you know, the, the sort of twist where, she, oh, wow, she should, do, you know, his daughter. I didn't really feel that. I don't know. It just, I, for me, I don't know what that part was doing. But it, yeah. I think she was just the catalyst for, like, uh, it makes him more personal. It gives him a reason why he can't just blow them out of the sky straight away. But he didn't. He's, he transported her onto his ship. Yeah, so he so transported her just straight off. Exactly. There was but, no real hold for me. I don't know. I guess, yeah. Yeah, I yeah. just didn't. I mean, she's lovely. Lovely girl. I'm not knocking the cat, you know, herself. But I just didn't feel the part. Yeah, it, a bit more. it could have been more. It feels a yeah. bit unnecessary. The whole "I'll use my mother's maiden name to get on the ship," and oh. Oh, and then oh no, it's actually somebody else. And especially when we're already doing the fake name thing with Can, you know, we we get him yeah. introduced as John Harrison, and this goes to the behind the scenes stuff. You know, like everybody guessed that Can was going to be the villain in this film, yes. and you know. They announced, uh, originally it was meant to be Benicio Del Toro, and apparently they won't pay him enough, so he dropped out. And Bened- Ooh, perfect. Yeah, I mean... I like, he's a great actor. Then, perfect fan casting. So, Benedict Cumberbatch yeah. did come in fairly late in the day, um, but, you know, everybody knew it was going to be Khan, and the producers are going, no, it's not Khan, it's not Khan, it's not Khan. Yeah, we're not remaking the Wrath of Khan. Yeah, we're not doing that. It's not Star Trek 2, Wrath of Khan 2. It's, we, we, no, 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 no. And then it comes out, and then obviously when it is revealed it's Khan, you go, well, why did you bother going why? to such lengths to lie about it? And it, it just didn't... Yeah. Well, I think that's part of the problem as well. It rubbed, it's, it's rubbed fans up the wrong way, like... They've denied something that everyone's guessed that straight away for a long time. And then it comes out that it is that. Well, why have you lied to us? And, and, yeah. you've done a, and you haven't done... And if you're going to remake a movie, in my eyes, you, sh- you really need to make a better version of it. Yeah, I agree. And, and no. Star Trek 2 is already the best version you're going to get. I mean, I would take a little bit of issue with that in that Yes, it's a story about Khan, and yes, it's a Star Trek 2 again, but I don't think it's a remake in terms of the plot, though they do replay certain beats of it later on, but, you you know, I don't think it's a remake as such, but it is hitting the same, some of the same beats and everything, and it's a weird, like, situation with it, and I agree with you guys, like, I think if they'd have gone with an original villain, it'd have been... The better choice, but I think yeah, what... they could have kept almost the same story. Oh yeah, I mean just yeah. just with a different villain. Just keep the villain as oh, you John Harrison. You could have done this that way, absolutely. Um, I think what they've done though is they've looked at things like um, like Christopher Nolan's Batman trilogy, and you've got right. We've done the origin film. Now let's do the most famous villain in the second bit. You know, and they followed that sort of model and gone, right, we've done Star Trek 1, what do we do? Well, Khan's the obvious. And I'm not, yeah, I'm not sure it was the right decision, but as I say, I don't have as much of a problem with it. But I'm happy to pick holes in it as well, because that's good fun. So, they get <laughs> sent... Dean Del Toro in it. That would have been brilliant. Oh, I'd love that. Yeah. Well, apparently they won't pay him as much as he wanted. So, that, I mean, that's just what I've read. I'm not... If Benicio yeah. wants to come on the programme and tell us all about it, because I'm sure, you know, he does interviews with random podcasts, but that'd be pretty cool too. Oh, that'd be <laughs> awesome. But I mean, there are, obviously, they are, there are issues with paying everybody, aren't there? So it doesn't yeah. sound surprising. Yeah, well, and that's what's allegedly derailed Star Trek Four, yeah. isn't it? That the the can't agree on the money yeah. and everything, because yeah. Chris Pine and particularly Chris Hemsworth, who they wanted back, little bit more famous now than they were in the original, so hmm. yeah. But yeah, they want to pay. They want to pay two thousand and nine Hemsworth to get a uh, twenty twenty. Yeah, it's not going to happen, yeah. is it? 
I no. come up with a theory as well. I was talking to my daughter the other day because we were saying, or I was saying, you've got so many Chris's in the world of film at the moment. Mm-hmm. Hemsworth, Pie, Rat. Um, can't remember his name, Captain America. Evans. It escapes me. Evans. Evans, sorry. Um, and, you know, I, I said, you know, when, when you buy a racehorse, right, you have to, I know this, this is going somewhere, sure. you have to register their name and then they have to approve it. I feel that someone somewhere, you have to register your Hollywood name and they should go, no, sorry, there's too many Chris's. Yeah. We need something. <laughs> yeah. That's my theory. Maybe another Peter somewhere. So yeah, or, right, Chris Pat, Pratt, you've got to be Christopher Pratt because we've already yeah. got, yeah. Yeah, and you can be Chrissy and you can be Crap. <laughs> so suddenly realizing why these these um, podcasts take so long. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's me, I know. I, I, no, I, it's all of us. We all. So out of we we will move on in a second, but I, I need to know now. Out of Hemsworth, Pratt, Evans, and Pine, which one would yeah. be Chrissy? Oh, oh, do you know? I'm Chrissy Hemsworth. Evans. Chrissy Evans. Because then yeah. you don't cross over with Chris Evans. The redhead. Um, yeah, yeah, I can Chris go over Chrissy Evans. Chrissy Evans, yeah. okay. Chrissy Evans, yeah, yeah, that's our pick, apparently. Yeah, I'll go Hashtag ahead. Chrissy Evans, we'll get that trending. <laughs> so, <laughs> back to the movie then. Uh, Captain Pike gets killed. We find out Can's, not Can, sorry, John Harrison has gone a bit rogue. And this is, there's quite a nice bit where Spock mind melds with Pike when he's dying. Yes. And that, so first you're like, well, why is he doing that? And obviously it it comes later and you find out about it. But I'd also, I, in that sequence, I'd get rid of the, um, I would have that little um, shoot-em-up bit be a lot quicker. I think you shoot through the windows, it flies off, you go straight to Spock on the floor with him, get into the meat of what it's about. It's not, Star Trek at its heart isn't an action movie. No, it's not. I think you could cut that down. Well, the newer audience... But you don't. You just end up like isolating the Star Trek core fan base. Like, yeah, you know, I don't think you're going to ever sell it as a Star Wars film when it's a Star Trek. No, and I think that is one of the problems with these films is they were trying to get that. Cause at the time, certainly that these first two came out, there was no such thing as a Star Wars film. You know, the yeah, the Star Wars franchise. Lucas had Lucas had finished and Disney hadn't bought them yet, so I do think they were trying to make this the space adventure thing. And uh, you know, I I agree with you that you don't need that much action. But what they're trying to do here isn't to make a Star Trek film. They're trying to make this new type of Star Trek film that they now don't need to because there's Star Wars films, you know. So it's yeah, it's an interesting yeah. thing, but. I agree. There is a, it, it does feel like we've got to have an action sequence every 20 minutes or so in this film. Exactly. I mean, a few extra action sequences are fine. You can get some lovely epic space battles in um, Star Trek uh, uh, DS9, even though they a little bit heavily relied on CGI in some, some scenes. They did some wonderful epic space battles. Yeah. You can have that. This maybe not just, yeah, as you say, like not an action scene every three seconds. This one could have been lost or seriously reduced down. Yeah. So moving yeah. on to the next action scene then. We um <laughs> the the upshot of it all is we have to go to Kronos, the Klingon homeworld, because that's where John Harrison is hiding and Well, he's transported from Earth to Kronos. He has. Like I have no like this uh trans warp trans warped uh transporting. Like, that was transporting at warp speed from one ship to another. Not sort of going, like, halfway across the galaxy. Well, I mean, I think Scotty says something like, oh, they co-opted my technology. So I think I think the implication is that Section 31 have got their hands on the transwarp beaming and yeah, but done something it, to it. But yes, it's it very... just seem, It just seems like suddenly... The, they can beam anywhere in the galaxy. Well, why do you need starships then? Well, yeah. If you can do that. I mean, it is very, very, very convenient. Yeah, it's something, yeah. It like, and it's something that we haven't seen in other Star Trek. No. We saw, like, in 2009, how Kirk got back onto the Enterprise by doing it. But that's, like, the, tra- the warp speed transporting was two ships basically together next to each other at warp speed and beaming from one of one to the other. It wasn't going 
like the distances you travel in warp at warp speed to yeah. another planet. No, I mean Voyager would have been a short series if this. Well, it would. Yeah. <laughs> which yeah, no, I agree. Arguably, yeah. wouldn't have been a bad thing, but never mind. Um. So yeah. So regardless of how he gets there. We get another action scene where we get the, the Klingon birds of prey and the mm-hmm. chasing the shuttle and all of this business. And yeah, again, don't mind it. Now, now this scene to me could have been flying through um, the Death Star in Return of the Jedi. You're not implying that J.J. Abrams used this film as a demonstration to show that he could potentially direct a Star Wars film, are you? I wouldn't suggest that in any way, shape or form, ever. No, it's just because later on in the film, where they do the the jump from ship to ship in the spacesuits, and you basically end up with Kirk. He has to hit a target that's not much bigger than two metres, and he does it by turning off his targeting computer and trusting his instincts. And it just all seems very, very familiar. I mean, the, the, the thing which I, I mean, yeah, I agree with all that. The thing I want to talk about, though, is the pretty boy Klingons. Mm-hmm. I, I hate the look of the Klingons here. The pre- the, the like, piercings are, are too, like, neat and tidy. The, the, the sweet blue eyes, like the fact that they're wearing helmets, since when, like, they're warriors, their face is their helmet. They don't need that shit. You just didn't find them attractive enough, did you, babe? They're too pretty. They're well, pretty I've pretty never Klingons. thought of these Klingons as the pretty boy Klingons, but... You but... don't think they look a bit too pretty, a bit too neat? Yeah. yeah the... I can honestly say I'd never... I mean... I've got, like, I, I don't like how this uh, version of the Klingons. I'm with Ian on this. They don't look right. I think the baby blues, the kind of the halfway between the Discovery Klingons and the normal Klingons, it it, the, it looks they like they almost look like um, sort of like maybe what you'd see in the nineteen sixties pirates movie <laughs> with the ear, earrings and everything on. Yeah, yeah, yeah the I'm... earrings seemed an interesting, an interesting thing, but. Yeah. yeah, I could see Worf with his uh, big e- earrings. Could you? <laughs> mincing, about on the, mincing about on the bridge of the Enterprise, leaning on his wooden banister. <laughs> I mean, if anything, like, I love the, the kind of, like, the Worf-style Klingons, the ones which they first brought in in the original movies. Mm. Wonderful look. If anything, even that got a bit, like, if you look back at the first time they had them, they had them being hairy and a bit kind of more ugly. Yeah, yeah, they did. You know, unseemly. I want more of that, not more come smooth and kind of like the ridges were like less pronounced. It was just yeah. It's it's like I find I find it a bit annoying that like I think with next generation DS nine, I think the Klingons looked really good and like we had a lot of Klingons through DS nine, so we got really really used to it. Why did that? Why did makeup artists and that feel the need to reinvent? Something that's not broken like that. Yeah, I mean, I can understand why they have to do it for practical reasons because we've got much more high-def cameras, so you have to update the makeup. But there's no reason that the look has to change. Yeah. I, I just have a vision. As we've been talking, as the blue-eyed uh, Klingons, I had a vision of them being topless on the front of a sports illustration. <laughs> I don't know, maybe really for that. They did look like the male models of the Klingon yeah. world. You know yeah. I mean? Maybe they were. We're sexy and we know it. Yeah, and, and to <laughs> let's face it, bringing the Klingons at all was kind of like, oh, well, let's throw them in as well. Yeah. It's just another element which doesn't really... The, the Klingons don't really become part of the plot, so why yeah, he, in there? Yeah, he could have got... Oh, well... well it's because Marcus wants to start a war, isn't it? That's the yeah. He's trying to start the war of the the Klingons. overarching thing. But but yeah, we didn't have to actually have them in there or anything. But it, it is one of those. Well, let's throw the Klingons at it. Let's get the Klingons involved, and it's a bit of a sort of throw you know everything in the kitchen sink at it kind of thing. And then we get to in this bit. This is where we get the reveal that it's actually Khan and not. Harrison. Now, yeah. this now, is... Now, don't you like Sulu on the bridge of this? Bef- just oh, before? yeah. That's good. He is, he is brilliant, his message to him. Yeah. Do not <laughs> test me. You will lose. <laughs> yeah, don't yeah. he say, like, I will annihilate you or something? Yeah. yeah. 
Yeah, yeah if you don't surrender, I have 72 top-of-the-range missiles and I will launch them all at your location. Yeah, it goes to his head really quick. <laughs> a lovely little one-liner from Kirk there going, it's like, and um, you got Bones goes, uh, oh, he's like a, a new horse and you're putting him in the ground. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, look, he'll be fine. And by the way, enough with the metaphors. <laughs> yeah. Lovely. Yeah, lovely, that's lovely. very good. Because, and again, it is very clever writing because... They've just had him come out with this elaborate metaphor, then another one, and you are starting to think, oh, this is a bit silly. And then Kirk calls it out. So, yeah, it's great. It's very well, very well, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Very well observed, very well planned out. And so the reveal of Khan then. So he says, my name is Khan. And there's a little hint of one of the music cues from Wrath of Khan in that moment, which I think is a really nice touch. Um, but Kirk and Spock don't react the way they should do because that would be like a character saying, my name is Hitler. And Well, no, because the, um, it hasn't been discovered in the same way. They haven't, they haven't had the space seek mission, have they? No, but they would know who he is from, from when he ruled uh, half of the Earth. Would the... Um... Well, they know who he is in Space Seed. Yeah, but um, it's sort of like retrospectively sort of being an underground sort of thing, hasn't it? Out mm. with the arguments. In the, yeah. The, like the fact that we're now well past 1997 and the arguments haven't ruled half the world. Well, true. But I just feel like you should have had a briefing scene or something after that where they go, oh, this is this person. You know, to, to cater to the fans... Oh, you know, to yeah, get to the so audience who are not fans, who don't know who Khan is. Exactly. Like, instead of, uh, instead of like, uh, Spock's way to find out who Khan is, is that I'll get me a message to Vulcan so I can speak, we can get Leonard Nimoy in. And we've yeah. talked about this, and we've talked about this before, when you bring someone back and they don't serve a purpose, and Nimoy serves no purpose here whatsoever, to the yeah. plot of this movie. It doesn't drive it forward in any way, <laughs> shape or form. It's just there to be Leonard Nimoy having his face on the screen. Yeah, which is a shame because, like, you know, Nick was just saying, I just want to love seeing Leonard Nimoy. And I kind of get that, but I want him to be there for a really good reason, to give well, me Leonard to give Well, me he, turned, he turned down doing reason. Star Trek Generations, didn't he? Because they wanted him to just be on the bridge with Kirk, but he wasn't going to be... He didn't have a yeah. real driving part of the story. So he turned it down that he wasn't that he wasn't driving the story forward. He was just there for his face to be on screen, and yet he's gone and done exactly that for this movie. Well, I think in this case he kind of knew it was near the end. Probably, you know, it's near the end of his life, and maybe just kind of. And I knew JJ. I know he, he and JJ Abrams uh, and Zachary Quinto had a very quick kind of uh, fast friendship. Yeah. I think it was just. I think it was just that, and he, maybe he just knew it was his last time to play it, so it probably tipped scales to him doing it, even though he was probably aware, as you say, it wasn't. Yeah, yeah. I mean, for me, it, if two thousand nine had been his last appearance, that would have been the perfect place to leave Spock. It was just absolutely it was. perfect. It um, it, it drove the plot plot forward. Yeah, it, it was essential to the Whereas, plot in the two thousand nine movie. Yeah. Whereas and in the. Th- Film, the way they have him, like they killed him off in the sh- in the film. Again, I think that was wonderfully done. I don't want to sort of like jump ahead too yeah, much, yeah. but it was well justified, and the inclusion was perfectly done. Here, it's just forced. It is. It's, yeah. it's just. It, I actually like the Leonard Nimoy scene. I really do. And I know I said and commented and said, "Oh, I just want to see him." Do, um, but I actually quite liked. It. I think because I think for me, um, Spock. Zachary Quinto spot, realised it's almost like, I don't know, probably felt it was in a no-win situation and had to go to him to see what he needed to do to push it. I don't know, I just really like that. I um, liked yeah, it, I'm um, sorry. No, no, you, you're allowed to look like we I, Yeah, also, I think it's... They also sort of undid something throughout the whole film. For me, it's very noticeable they're only calling Khan. So I think the reason they were doing that was so they didn't have to say the full name because then it would be really jarring that it's a white guy. Very but white Spock guy, does playing. say... Spock yeah, exactly. does say the full That's name, yeah. Say. And then they do that, and it seems like, it, as I say, it was very noticeable to me they were just using his last name, and then 
They do but, give it just seem very weird, don't they? But they don't use his full name in The Wrath of Khan. They only no, they, they only say Khan in that. It's weird, but... Now, yeah, yeah. my theory on the Nimoy cameo, and I think Nicholas hit on it, is young Spock is asking old Spock for advice. Now, the scene finishes where young Spock says, oh, did you beat him? And old Spock says, yes, at a cost. And... <clears throat> We're supposed to think, oh, he's talking about the fact that he had to die to defeat Khan. I don't think no, he is. No, I don't think it was. I think the cost is, was Kirk's son. Mm, but that were the Klingons, but no, no. What, and the Enterprise. The Enterprise, true. But I think what Spock's actually going to do, old Spock tells him how Kirk beat him in Space Seed because Kirk got a bit of metal and whacked him over the head with it and that's what young Spock does at the end of this film. <laughs> <laughs> so that's what I think's gone on, but then, yeah, it's it, it. I'm of the camp that it, I'm never going to object to Leonard Nimoy turning up no, as Spock. I like seeing Leonard but Nimoy, but he there was no, no yeah, no need for it whatsoever. Movie. And it it kind of tarnishes what happened in the last film. It makes that feel a little less special. And I feel like this one should have been. We've done the handover. Let's move on. Let's go forward. Let's do our own yeah. thing. But but then, like you say, J.J. Abrams and Zachary Quinto became good friends with Nimoy, and they probably were just like, oh, it'd be nice if Leonard comes in and does a little bit. So, you know, one of those things. So, where are we? Yeah, so basically, this is where we get to... It's pretty much all action from here out, isn't it? It's the Marcus turns up with no, his... We have for no reason that Carol decides that she's got to get changed in a shuttlecraft with yeah, Kirk. Which on, on, in the shuttle. was a huge mistake. Like, he admitted there's, like, there's no reason for this. He apologised for that. Because, yeah, it's right. There's no reason for that to be there. Like, it's... Yeah. You hated it, didn't you? I mean, I paused it for a while just to see how much I hated it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I could understand why, oh, yeah. So I mean, the... <laughs> Measurably. The only thing that it serves to do is to show us Kirk's immaturity because he has a peak, even though he shouldn't be doing. And but you already did but, that with the three Somalia. Yes. You know Kirk did. Exactly. You, you know. That's who Kirk is, though. Essentially. Yeah, that's pretty. He's a lady's peers. Yeah. That's what he is. But, but yeah. that's it. it. It's a beat yeah. for Kirk that we don't need again. And, yeah. you know, it is just a right. thing. Though, interestingly, you talk about Kirk having the threesome with the two aliens. That's as many aliens as he went to bed with in the original series. Because it, it the, there's a great article called um, Kirk Drift, and it basically talks about this perception of Kirk as a ladies' man. And if you actually go back and look at the original series, he the relationships that he refers to in the past were always long-term relationships with very academic ladies, and they seem to have all ended amicably. And then the only time you see him, I think he, he sleeps with four people over the course of 79 episodes, you know, whereas... Yeah, but there's so much implied that then you couldn't show him going to bed with him. No, no, but th this is, the person who's written this article has taken into account that and has talked about, you know, these are the... So it's an interesting article anyway, I can't claim credit for it, but look it up, Kirk Drift. Um, yeah. But yeah, so blah, 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 so Khan, Marcus, yeah, it does get a bit convoluted doesn't it so it's can sort of joins them for a bit and yeah. it and, sorry, no go ahead no the only thing which like uh, i also want to just throw in there is as uh, scotty throughout this because like he's kind of peppered about and i think you get the second of his big moments around oh now. yeah because to begin with he's the one who's kind of challenging kirk and I liked in this one i think in the first film and to a degree in a lot of this film you get a lot of comedy, Scotty, and I don't have a problem with that with uh, some pig. But to have him like, there's a lovely moment here where he kind of goes, uh, "Jim, if you want to like do this, you're going to have to find me." Because do you want to find me? He goes, "Yeah, okay then." And yeah. like the look on his face, and he goes, "Jim, for God's sake, don't do that. Don't like fire those missiles." Yeah, yeah. And like the fact that you actually get to see that side of um, Scotty, which was just as integral to the character in the original yeah. series as those. Yes. Comedy like like Scotty was spot on here. He was being asked to sign for something that he didn't know what he was signing for. Yeah. And he was being very professional. I don't know what I'm bringing on board this ship. For safety reasons, I cannot sign for it. 
if you go back to the first film, he was just all comedy, and I think mm. it was nice to get those more serious Scotty moments, which they do again in the third film, which uh, Sam Peg partly wrote. So I yeah. think it's a bit more. Amazing. I think yeah. they they did lean on because it was it's a comedic performer. They lent on the comedy too much with Scotty, and he did have some yeah. funny moments, but he wasn't the comic relief, you know, exactly. originally. Yeah. So. so just- Really touch on that. The bit, the what I liked about, like when I, re- I remember first seeing this film in the cinema, and it had the bit where Kirk and Khan are on the mission, uh, and they're gonna, you know, as we've talked about, blast over to the other ship. And I thought, now this is really interesting because this is what what I was hoping they were gonna do is would Kirk and Khan in a different universe with a different turn of events could them two be friends and could them two work together and what would that look like? And I, I thought this could be really interesting, but we don't get that ultimately. We get two minutes of that, and it, it just seemed to me that's such an interesting angle to take on it because there was always respect between Kirk and Khan, and I would have liked to have seen that play out. But Yeah, because you've got a bit of the uh, master and doctor relationship in Doctor Who in yeah. the uh, original series. You would have these moments where they would team up for a period of time, and then inevitably the master would, of course, double cross him. But you've got to see how similar they were in some attributes. And I think you're right. It would have been really interesting to explore that more here with uh, Khan and, uh, and Kirk. Yeah, yeah, you could have kept Marcus as being the baddie right till the very end here. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah. instead, Khan squishes Marcus and... Which yeah. becomes his go-to move, by the way. He tries to respond. He does. It really, it really felt jarring to me. It's like, why is that his one? Why, why has he got a move? Most He's not a wrestler. Yeah, but most, most, a lot of do. A lot of baddies have a move, don't they? I mean, when you see any sort of genre of film, but a lot of. But do in have the old funny, like in the old movies where maybe they took it a little less seriously, I think this yeah. is more of a serious. Set. I, I don't know. It just seemed. Can place weirdly that he's as a yeah, finishing move. He's not a character from Street Fighter. Oh, Can would have been a good wrestler though. Now you've got me thinking about that. <laughs> that that would have been really good. And yeah, his finishing Indian move. Prince, I bring you Khan. Yeah, it is Khan. But Vince McMahon obviously now uh, one of the advisors to Donald Trump to help him restructure the economy. And don't. don't. I think that should be all we we say about that, because um, that that would take uh, yeah. another podcast. Yeah, I think that's all. I think that is all you need to say about that. Yep. Needs to know. Um, <laughs> so, should I put my fist in my mouth? Otherwise, I'm going to tee off on him. It's just I'm going to go into Trump rant. So please. Yep. No. Let's move on. So this is where we get the. Basically, this is where it becomes a remake of The Wrath of Khan because yes. Kirk has to go into the engine room with radiation. And I quite like that you get repetition of the dialogue. Like, you get uh, Scotty saying, no, you'll flood the whole compartment. And, you know, little bits like that. I don't like the Khan when that comes, but it's little bits like you'll flood the compartment and Spock, you better get down here, better hurry. And, yeah, I think those bits are nice. And... It, the bit where they're at the opposite sides of the glass and obviously it's a reversal. Yeah. That mostly works for me. And I like that Kirk says, I'm scared, Spock, and how do you not feel? And that shows the difference between Pine's Kirk and Shatner's mm-hmm. Kirk. Because I don't think Shatner's Kirk would have ever admitted to feeling fear in yeah. this situation. And I, I like that, you know, he's a younger man. He's a man who's not grown to where he should be and i think the the contrast is that in the wrath of khan when you get this scene that's two men who've had a a lifetime's friendship saying goodbye to each other whereas what you're getting here is two young men who are realizing for the first time quite how much they do mean to each other and i I (laughs) like what they're doing there but then for me it's ruined where spock screams can and it just just why it's <clears throat> it's one of the most cheesy moments in star trek and it's a million memes and it's been parodied over and over and over again and no matter how good zachary quinto is i don't think he can sell that moment and not make it silly and that that's just yeah. my take on it it's it's not something i did like 
for that level of emotional outburst, because it is an emotional outburst to hear, mm. I don't think he's close enough at this point with Kirk, at this po- time in the relationship, to have such a strong emotional outburst about I, it. See, that I can buy, but it's just the fact that he screams can that's silly to me. If I might, like, for me, what it really... Like, first of all, in that in that scene, I don't like the fact that we're in a big chamber where you've got to climb up and there's all this unnecessary action again. Whereas what's great about that scene in The Wrath of Khan is it's very intimate. You're in this little chamber. He's got to lift off this really heavy thing. Yeah. He's got to do it, like, manually with his hands. I don't even mind, like, if it's something where um, Pine's got to hang from the ceiling and kick something in place. That's fine. But... Adding that largeness takes away from the intimacy of that mm. moment, and then they've got to go back to the door to have that intimate moment. It just yeah, yeah. It, it, it splits it too much. I, I think you concentrate on that intimate moment and, and have it more a physical task than maybe just jumping off the ceiling. Well, I mentioned last time I have pro- then, I have problems with the entire engine room well, anyway. Well, oh yeah, me too. But like, you, like yeah, I have a big problem here with, with the, the engine, with the engine room because you're essentially setting getting the warp car going again. To power the thrusters, the thrusters have nothing to do with the warp car. <laughs> well, yeah, but like, I, but to get back to the the mode of it, I I think though, yeah, I think you're right. That I mean, to me, I don't mind. It doesn't jar against me, uh, rub up against me too badly that um, Spock is having this huge emotional response because I think the whole idea is Kirk is learning responsibility from Spock. Spock is learning about emotion, yeah. And even though he is Vulcan. He can have those emotions, he's just got to control them, not deny them. Unlike, you know, pure Vulcan, if you will. He's got to accept the fact that he will have these emotions, he's just got to have mastery over them. And I, 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 so I don't mind that he has this big emotional response because it's just hitting him like a, a ton of bricks that this emotion is hitting him and that he does care about this guy. He's realised that this guy is willing to sacrifice himself for him, even though Spock didn't even realise he was doing wrong by uh, selling him out when he had saved his yeah. life previously. And, you know, so I, I think that's all played by. I agree with you, though. Like, the mirroring of the lines gets a bit too much, especially right down to the con. Um So maybe, like, you had elements of it, but, like, just, yeah, don't don't play the word-for-word word as much. Yeah, I mean, as I say, for me, it's I like the little bits, but I don't like the can, because even a casual audience would go, oh, that's that bit that he does that I've seen on meme, and, you know... Well, so- that's it. It's... it's- Part of pop culture, yeah, it's just too silly. But what is interesting though is that that happens, and then the final action sequence of the film doesn't feature our main star. It's Spock who goes after Khan and has a fight with him and saves the day and everything. So, yeah, now this annoys me as well, okay? (laughs) But here, because we've got that the fighting and uh. McCoy discusses that he needs the blood, Khan's blood, because it's magic blood and it brings people back to life. <laughs> yes. Like, when, I'm, I'm not even going to go into magic blood. I can, let, let's just let that one go. <laughs> okay. So they decide they've got to beam them back up to the ship. Yeah. So Chekhov's there. I can't get a lock on them because they're moving. In the last movie, it could deal with planetary yeah. gravitational wells going off as they're <laughs> falling at terminal velocity, and pinpoint them, no problem. I can do that. So he's in, in this, while he's been on a starship, he's forgotten how to use a transporter. And he's also, <laughs> also, just after he says, I can't beam him up because they're moving, it cuts to a scene where Khan's doing his finishing move on Spock, and they're both stationary on the floor. Yeah. So <laughs> it wouldn't have been too difficult to beam him up, but yeah. I, I yeah, like it. The... Just, it really annoys me. Does that? That I know it's for the. I know it's done for the plot uh, and all that. And and you do get this, but when you've had somebody who can do such a great job of transporting in one movie, and then they can't they can't beam somebody up because they're they're moving at walking distance, or they're yeah. moving about because they're fighting a bit. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it is a bit yeah, silly. You, you get convenient, and I think it also goes to like. Uh, Things like Khan's strength, and there's a lot of things which are very conveniently used in this film at one moment or another. There is. And then, wrapping it all up, this bit, we get Kirk giving the address, and it's the rechristening of the Enterprise or what have you, and he does the space, the final frontier. That's all good. And then... 
Sorry, and, go on. and just very, very, very quickly, sorry, just the, the way he delivers that as well. I like the fact that he doesn't, because um, perhaps he isn't like the uh, biggest Star Trek guy going into it. He just throws it in, like, he just delivers the line. It's a nice speech, but he doesn't go the space. Yeah. The front, and well, he delivers it in a real way, and that's really nice. Sorry, great. Well, that's now a cop. Uh, Sean has been the captain Zorf, is that? Yeah, that's what they. Yeah. They say it as, and I don't mind that. I think yeah. that's an interesting way of incorporating it. But the final scene, basically, this is another thing this film is doing a lot, where it's going, let's look at what worked in the first film and just do it again. Like, the final scene is almost beat for beat, exactly the same. We're all on the bridge, everybody's happy, we go to warp and we get the credits. And I like that, but it feels a little bit too formulaic, like, Right, let's do that again. Like, the the jump between the ships, the space jump, is basically the parachute jump down onto the drilling antenna from the first film, but, but we're doing Kirk, it horizontally instead of vertically. When, when he says, I've got to hit a target four metres, he goes, I've done, it's okay, I've done this before. Yeah. So, but it was vertically. So, I, I feel yeah, like... That was at, the whole thing. I do feel like at the end of this film, it's just like, oh, well, let's do a crowd-pleasing ending like we did in the last film. Almost like in Wayne's World, where they go, let's do the mega happy version. Yes. And, I just hear that. And yeah, so, yeah, and it, it finishes. And what I noticed when I came out of this at the cinema was, when I came out of the first one, I had a massive grin on my face. And this one, I just came out like, yeah, yeah, that was fine. Yeah. 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 But, and also, I, something which really rubbed up against me this time, I don't know if it did the first time I watched it, but... The warp nacelles look really stupid when the whole ship is going to warp, and the, the warp, those huge ass warp nacelles are sort of like it's like they're stuck in place while the rest of the ship moves off, and then they catch up. Yeah, well, we do get a weird. we do get a subtle redesign of the Enterprise for the next film, or for the twenty minutes that it's in the next film. So <laughs> there was actually one thing I would say: we're under siege by our little doggy at the moment. Aww. Like, eat the studio. He, he wants to play with us, so he's just leaping up at the moment. We're like, ha! <laughs> um, no, I was going to say, I sorry, a little bit about the characters as well, because we spoke a lot about sort of Spock and spoke about Kirk. Um, I think all the characters have been really well played. I love all the characters. I'm never offended by them. I never think, oh, that's really a poor imitation. Yeah. But other than the mate, you know what? I love Bones. Yeah, yeah, it's I wonderful. I just think he's so good at it all the little bits he does and he's always there whatever serious scenes going on he always seems to have something probing Kirk in, you know in, yeah I'm oh, sorry <laughs> you know what I mean he's always got Usually some it's the aliens probing shush Chats in this one he's always got some medical implement hasn't he yeah. and it just I just think he's and, great he's and I, so I do good. agree with you about the magic blood but I do like the, the way they have the triple there and that's how they realise that's yeah. Kind of yeah. yeah that's a nice little sort of beat and I like um the way it's established earlier in the film is Khan says something to Kirk that rattles him. Uh, I can't remember, it says something like, what would you do for your crew or something? And Kirk, to get out of this awkward sort of stare down with Khan, goes, oh, Bones, what are you doing with this Tribble? So it's it's a nice way of putting it in, but also showing maybe Kirk's a little bit intimidated in that moment. So there is some really, really nice stuff in the film, and I do really enjoy it. I think it's a step down from the first one, certainly. And it's not a patch on The Wrath of Khan. But overall, I do still enjoy this film, but you have to have a less critical head on, I think, to thoroughly enjoy this one. Yeah, like, I enjoy, I enjoyed watching it again. It It is an enjoyable movie, but it has a lot of problems. And as it a does. tricky, that's, that's, it's I think it's a harder movie for uh, a hardcore Trekkie to watch than your normal layman to watch is this one. I think you're probably right. And I, I think, obviously, yep. we only got three of, in the Kelvin timeline. But to me, so far, you know, like, God willing, there will be another one at some point. But I think uh, it's the reverse of the, um, for me, of the uh, original ones. It's maybe yeah. even one to the better one. For me, it's the odd ones here. Yeah, yeah. I think, yeah, yeah, I think there was a switch... It was when Nemesis dropped the ball and broke the the even ones even are always number. good curse, and then it it shifted. Although saying that, I, I enjoy Generations. I yeah, I think it's overplayed that because I think 
it's basically one and five that people don't like, and it's <laughs> a nine. Yeah, of three's not I like the strongest three. movie. I love three. I just don't think. I enjoy three, but three's three's a bridging movie between yes. two and four. It's sandwiched between two much better films, but um, yeah. Well, the thing, the only thing that's really good is not being as good as the ones on the side of it. It, it, but it, it, it and it's part film. of a, and it is part of an actual trilogy. It's the middle part of a trilogy of movies. Yeah. Yeah. So shall we wrap up there? Then is there anything else anyone wants to get off the chest about Into yeah. Darkness? Yeah. I, yeah. I feel like we have to give a rain. I, I, I like my... Oh, okay, let's do... Let's do... I'll tell you what we'll do. Um, my wife told me that I must mention what her nickname for Benedict Cumberbatch is. Oh, yeah? And her nickname for Benedict Cumberbatch is Benedict Come In My Snatch. <gasps> oh. <laughs> what? Is that yeah. her nickname or a request? Um, <laughs> possibly both. So, I, I would give this film seven Come In My Snatches. Okay, I'm going to give it... Yeah, I'm going to join you and go for seven coming my snatches. I, I like it's above average, but I, I'm going to go six coming my snatches. Yeah, I'm going to go six coming my snatches. <laughs> so does that... That average is out at a 6.5 then? Yeah, not a strong score. He pulls out halfway through really, the is it? Time. So we're... He a drink. <laughs> so I think that about does it for... Into Darkness, we'll be back to do um, Beyond. But um, yeah. if you want to get in touch with us in the meantime, we're on Facebook, search for Retrek. We're on Twitter at RetrekPod, and you can email us at RetrekPod at gmail.com. Um, so, you guys, say bye bye. Thanks a lot. Bye bye. And thanks for trekking with us this time. We'll see you next time on the Retrek. Cheers. Bye. bye.